Great. Well, this morning we begin, um, as James said, a 12-part series on the attributes of God. And uh, we pray that you're going to be really encouraged by this and you're going to be challenged by it. And we're going to be considering this amazing, great God that we serve. And the amazing thing is that God has revealed himself to us. He wants us to know about him. He wants us to acknowledge him and he wants our knowledge of him to grow and he wants us to become more and more like his son. So the next 12 weeks are not going to be a theoretical discussion about who this amazing God is. It's going to be very much about getting to know our personal God and our journey of becoming more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at the attributes of faithfulness and kindness this week. And next week we're going to look at the eternal and changing and unique God. And we're going to do it through the book of Exodus. Someone described God as being like a diamond, beautiful jewel. And as you shine light onto this amazing, beautiful jewel, it reflects these amazing things. And as you turn it to different angles, you see different beautiful reflections of this amazing gem. Of course, we can't compare God to anything. He's beyond anything that we can on earth compare him to, but maybe this gives us an idea of how we're going to understand and look at God. And today we're going to look at that faithfulness and kindness of God, but there are so many aspects, so many attributes of God that we're going to look at and we're going to understand the holistic view of what God brings. In Exodus, God started to reveal something of himself to the people of Israel. And he showed himself glimpses uh, of himself to them. And it, it was amazing what God reveals. And we're going to see what God reveals in Exodus. But what we read is that God has now revealed himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's shown us who he really is by coming down to earth and revealing himself to us. And we can see so much more of him. He's revealed so much more of himself. As we'll see next week, he hasn't changed, but he's revealed so much more. And Paul says that when people looked at God in Moses' time, there was a veil covering their, their, their hearts. And right up to that time, there was a veil covering their hearts. They couldn't see the fullness of who God was. But now when Christ has come, that veil is taken away and we can see him more clearly. We can see more of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're still human. And we're still bound by all our humanness and everything we experience here on earth. And so our understanding and our view of God is still limited. And Paul uses an example. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known fully, even as I am fully known. When you look at that diamond, it's crystal clear on the screen. And you go, well, I can see that perfectly. But the example that Paul is using is the example of a mirror. And the mirror in those days was so different from the mirrors that we know today. Highly polished glass with a silver backing which reflects beautifully the image that is in front of us. In the time that Paul used this example, a mirror was made out of brass or copper and it was shined up as best you could and you would look in that copper reflection and you would get an idea of what you were looking at. 
but it wasn't the crystal clear view that we have as a mirror. So he's saying, we're now looking in a mirror dimly. Yes, we can get an idea, but things are obscuring our view. Things are coming in and we can't quite see. It's like there's some clouds overhead, but the day is coming when we will see God in all his splendor and we will know him fully and we will be fully known. That is an amazing thing to look forward to. Right now, there are things that are obscuring our view, our circumstances, our sin, the world that we live in, sometimes is confusing. It's hard to make sense of God. There are things that we see and we don't quite understand. They may not add up to our exact experience. We go, well, is this really right? But it's because we are here now bound by our earthly bodies. In a coming time, we will understand fully and we will, and we will know God and see him face to face. The background to Exodus starts with God calling Abraham. We know the story well. God calls Abraham out of his land. He gives him a covenant, a covenant that would result in blessing for Abraham, for his descendants, and a blessing for the entire world. He says, through you, everybody will be blessed on earth. Abraham is given a promise that his descendants will inherit a promised land. He says that it's going to happen, how is it going to happen in Genesis chapter 15? His offspring will be sojourners in a foreign land and they will become servants, but eventually they will leave with great wealth. If you want to look it up in Genesis 15 verse 13, it's the most amazing prophecy of what is going to happen and what we're going to read about in Exodus. And then as God foretold, Abraham has a son late in years, Isaac. The covenant is confirmed again with Isaac in Genesis 26. And Isaac marries Rebekah. And Abraham's servant goes out and he says to the Lord, he prays to the Lord, Lord, by your faithfulness and your steadfast love, please bring me to the right woman for Isaac. And so Isaac and Rebekah come together in a miraculous way. And they have two sons, Jacob and Esau, and we know the story well. Esau despises his birthright. He was the firstborn son. Jacob is desperate to have it, so desperate, in fact, that he cheats his brother out of it. And God sees that, and God blesses him and passes the covenant blessing unto Jacob. And so we have this phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know Jacob has 12 sons, and one of the sons is his favored son, Joseph, the brothers become jealous of Joseph, they conspire together, and he, gets, he ends up being sent to Egypt in slavery. And this is part of God fulfilling this amazing prophecy that he gave to Abraham. Joseph goes to Egypt, he works his way up through terrible circumstances to eventually being the prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And through that circumstance, his brothers meant him evil, but God saw it for good. God brings the whole family of Jacob, all 70 members of that family, and they come and live and start to become assimilated into the Egyptian uh, people. 400 years pass. And the Israelites multiply in the lands. People talk of there being about 2 million uh, Israelites at the time when they left Egypt 
from that 70. And if you do the sums and you work out the 400 years, it's not difficult to see how you can get to those 2 million people. It's the power of, uh, what do you call it, Johan? Uh, Well, more than multiplication, it's it's the exponential curve. Here we go, put him on the spot for a minute there. Sort of what's happening to our world population right now. But the fact is that the nation of Israel is right there and they start to be mistreated and beaten and taken into slavery because the Egyptians are seeing them multiply. And this is where we come to this morning for the passage that we're going to be looking at in Exodus chapter 2. So if you'll just turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to read together just a few verses from verse 23 through to verse 25. Exodus chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's just pray together and ask for God's blessing on his word. Lord, this morning as we come to your word, and as we ask you, Lord, to shine your light of your word into what we understand about your character, that you would just help us to understand it in a a more beautiful way, that we would understand more about who you are. We know, Lord, that you are eternal and that you are unfathomable, but you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we pray that as we understand it today, we will be transformed and that you would help us to live in the light of the knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the passage this morning, we could look at so many different attributes of God from so many different angles of the diamond, if you like. But this morning, we're going to think about God's faithfulness and his kindness. When you and I think of faithfulness, our human nature tends to make us think about somebody who is loyal to us, someone who is doing our bidding someone who always sticks to what they say. And we can take that understanding of faithfulness to God and we can start to think, well, a faithful God is a God who does what I need him to do, who's loyal to me, to my purposes, and as, you know, if things are going well in my life, then I can say God is faithful to me. But when we look at the God of the Bible, We've got to be very careful. Tim Keller often refers to the concept of us in our generation, in our time, making gods of our own image. Not something that we model and we bow down to, but in our minds we start to think of God in the way that we would like him to be, rather than how God reveals him to be. And so this morning we're going to be thinking of three different aspects of what it means to have a faithful God. We're going to be thinking about the God who is faithful to himself. What does that mean? We're going to be looking at the God who is faithful to his covenant promises. And we're going to be looking at the God who is faithful to his people. The nation of Israel had 
the greatest possible start. Here they had Joseph, second only to Pharaoh. When any of the brothers walked through the city, people would have said, whoa, here comes Joseph's brothers. They would have been treated with great respect. They would have been looked after. They had the best start in the new land. And over time, they increased in number, they multiplied, and the land was filled with them. And of course, this started to terrify the Egyptians. They could see what was happening. They could see these people coming in and starting to do exceedingly well and take over everything and be very successful and multiply in the land. And so what they started to do is oppress the children of Israel and make life difficult for them, become taskmasters over them and eventually put them into slavery and treat them ruthlessly and harshly. But still they multiplied. The harder they treated them, the more the Bible says they multiplied. To the point that Pharaoh proclaimed a decree to start killing off the male babies of the Israelites, the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, the Bible says, groaned and cried to help. Perhaps this morning you're asking the question, God if these are your people, why are you allowing them to suffer like this? Why allow your children, your people, a faithful God, why would you let them suffer in this way? Maybe the question is a little bit closer to home this morning. Maybe the question is, Lord, why are you letting me suffer? How can you be a faithful and kind God when I'm suffering? And maybe your cry is going out this morning. I want to start our consideration of God's faithfulness in reflecting that God firstly is faithful to himself. You might say, well, you know, I need God to be faithful to me. But actually you don't. You need God to be faithful to himself. Why? Why do I say that? As we shine the light of God's word on his character We see that God is a God of love. He is a God of kindness. He is a gentle God. He's a forgiving God. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. The psalm that Paul read this morning is one that we're going to refer to again later today. We're going to see how God is unchanging. And this quality is truly amazing. That's what we're going to think a little bit about next week. We, on the other hand, are fickle. We're changing. One day we feel like this, the next day we feel like that. We might be upset, we might be angry, we might be jealous or frustrated. And all of these emotions impact on how we think, how we behave, how we respond to the world around us. But Paul says this about God. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is a God who remains faithful to his own character. I know some days I just just snap. And I think, why did I do that? God never snaps. God never reacts. He is faithful to his character. He's unchanging. He's the same God. He is merciful. In Lamentations 3.22 we read, the steadfast love 
The faithful love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful to that steadfast love. He's faithful to his character. In Psalm 85 verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We can be so grateful this morning that he is faithful and steadfast. But what about Israel? What about us? As we turn to the scriptures, we see another side of the picture. The prophet Ezekiel, almost a thousand years later, God reveals something to him that we don't read in this passage. He reveals something about the context of this particular passage. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. What we'll see here is that God's faithfulness remains even when Israel isn't faithful. This is what we read in Ezekiel 20 verse 5. On this day, say to them, says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. God made himself known to the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. A land better than Egypt. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. Listen to this. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. When we read this passage in Exodus, we see that it says they groaned because of their slavery and they cried out to help. And what do we read? Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Interestingly, it doesn't say they cried out to Jehovah, they cried out to the Lord for help. What it seems to be saying in Ezekiel is that the Israelites had found themselves muddled in the Egyptian way of life. They were looking on detestable things and their hearts were towards idols. We see it when God takes them out into the desert and Moses goes up for a brief moment onto the mountain. What happens? They quickly conspire with Aaron, make us a God. Quickly, make us a God. We want to worship him and thank him for getting us out of this mess. Aren't you grateful that God is faithful to his character? Because if he was faithful to us, he wouldn't have to do anything. This is what it says in Ezekiel. Then I said, 
I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. God had every right to wipe out the nation of Israel while they were in Egypt. But, but I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived. But for God's faithfulness to his own character. This morning, folks, as we come this morning and as we think about the wonderful character of God, the faithfulness of God, the kindness of God, let us never think that God owes us anything. Let us never think that God is faithful to us because we deserve it. He's doing it because of his character, not because of ours. If you're a Christian today, take hold of this fact. God is faithful to his character. You can count on him. You will not ever, always understand everything around you. You won't be able to tie off all the loops in your mind. You may be confused about what's happening right now and you might be battling to make sense of your life. But know this, God is faithful to himself even when we are faithless. We cannot earn it. It is who he is. We can only honor God's faithfulness. We can acknowledge it and well we should well, we should acknowledge the faithfulness of God. God is faithful and kind. His, by his mercies, we are not consumed. Because of his compassions, they fail not. Malachi 3 and verse 16. Secondly, we see that God is faithful to his covenants. God is faithful to his covenants. You know, we're not going to do a massive study of covenants now because we simply don't have the time. And, and if any, anybody was going to do it, I think we'd have to ask Michael Harbour before he goes to, to do a covenant study for us. But as I've had a brief look at covenants, there's something amazing to me. Almost all of them have an eternal element to them. Almost all of them have an eternal element to them. When God makes a covenant, he doesn't do it on a temporary basis. These are eternal things. When we look at Psalm 132 verse 11 and Psalm 110 verse 4, we see this concept of David's covenant and the covenant to David was this, that David would have a descendant on the throne forever. How is that possible? Forever in eternity. When we look at the story of the priest that was promised, the covenant priest in the order of Melchizedek, he would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. When we see the covenant to Abraham, and I didn't see this before, but as I read through this covenant just over the last few days, it came to me again. There is a covenant with Israel for eternal possession of the land. And I thought, well, okay, that obviously doesn't mean eternal, eternal. It just means you know, while this earth is here. But then we go to Hebrews and we see the story of Abraham whose faith was for a city that would last forever. The covenants that God deals with are eternal covenants. And here we have something that is just too incredible. We see that God is faithful to his word. 
God is unable to lie. His character does not allow him to lie. If he promises something, you can take it to the bank. It is impossible for God to lie. Well, not bank. banks is a bad example in the, this day and age. This is what we read in Hebrews 6 verse 18. We who have fled for refuge may have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Folks, this morning, not all of us are descendants of Abraham. One or two of us are. But this morning, we have come into a covenant with God, an eternal covenant that is based on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. Jesus calls it a new covenant. And it fulfills all other covenants and it supersedes all other covenants. The nation of Israel were promised blessing in the land. They were promised something here and now. We know Abraham was looking forward to an eternal city. But the covenant that we have as God's people, as the church, are to be his people forever. It's an eternal covenant. And sometimes when we're thinking about God's faithfulness in our human capacity, we have a very narrow window. We think very short term. But God's covenant with us, his faithfulness to us, is eternal. It's a promise that he's given that he will fulfill. And as we look to these circumstances of the people of Israel, as they cried out and moaned and complained, God heard their cry, and what did he do? He remembered the covenant that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he acted based on that covenant. Anything that you and I can claim as Christians, is based on the covenant of Christ, on the new covenant. And on him, he's given us amazing and incredible promises, things that we can claim. Maybe you're looking around and you're wondering what the future holds for you. Romans 8 verse 32 says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us, with him, graciously give us all things. Now some people take that verse and they go, okay, I've got Jesus, bank him. Now I want everything else and this verse says I can have it. But there's a wonderful parable that sheds light on what God considers to be all things. Luke 11, Jesus had just explained the Lord's Prayer. It includes the request for daily bread and he tells them about a parable, about this guy who comes to his friend late at night and he's banging on the door and eventually this man gets up to give him what he needs. And Jesus says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. But then he goes on and he says, consider an earthly father who asks, an earthly son who asks his father for a fish or an egg. Will his father give him a snake or a scorpion, something that will cause him great harm? And he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give you everything you need? No, doesn't say that. What does it say? How much more will the heavenly father give you? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. 
yeah, okay, that's nice, but what I really need now is a job. Or what I really need is whatever, healing. Or what I really need is X, Y, Z. This is a really odd verse. Jesus has just been talking about all these different things. If you need something, ask for it, knock on the door, da-da-da-da, God will give you what you need, da-da. And then we come here and it says, if you ask, if the, if the father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? Folks, I think sometimes we have lost sight of what God has given us and what we really need. We have the Lord Jesus. He is our savior. He has redeemed us. We are sla- saved out of slavery. And now God has given us something that through the ages past, everybody coveted. Everybody wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody wanted to know what it was to live by the power of God. And God has given it to us. He's indwell us by his Spirit. And it's through his spirit that we can have the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. All the things that we need. All the things which are attributes of the God who we serve. We can become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him giving us the Holy Spirit. And yet... We don't appreciate that gift. We don't understand it. We don't appropriate it. We don't allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. We resist Him. And we choose rather to say, let me put up my own idol. That'll save me. And we neglect the God who's given us so much. The Jesus film is a great evangelistic tool. It's, it's shown all over the place and it... And it And people come to Christ at the end of seeing it. But at the end of the film, there are seven promises given to the people who respond to the altar call. We spoke earlier that God is a God of truth. God does not lie. And what God promises us as Christians might be different to what we expected. But he lays it out. He knows what's best for us. He's not giving us a scorpion. He's not giving us a snake although we might think it is, he's giving us what we need and what is best for us. These are the promises that we, that we see after the Jesus film. I think they're very appropriate. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus promises us life But he does say, you're going to need to give up your own life and follow me. Maybe that's the part we haven't quite fully understood. Jesus promises us life, eternal life, but we must give up our own life. Jesus promises acceptance. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus promises that if we come to him, he will not drive us away. He will accept us. 
Jesus promises us reward. No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, along with persecutions and in the life to come, eternal life. The first will be last and the last will be first. Are we willing to take this on? Are we willing to accept the truth of this? That accepting everything that God wants for us might mean losing something along the way. The Lord Jesus also promises revelation. We know through his spirit, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Do you wanna see God? Do you wanna know God? Follow his commands. Accept his spirit and live by his spirit. Friendship with God. You are no longer my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Is that the relationship that you want with God? And joy, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete in spite of trials. And the last one they give here after the Jesus film is trials. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. You go, well, that paints a wonderful picture, doesn't it? When we go back to this picture of the children of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were crying for help They were moaning and complaining because life was uncomfortable. What did they really want? My guess is they wanted to be freed from slavery in Egypt. They wanted to remain in Egypt. They liked it there. The food was good. The lifestyle was good. It was just this darn slavery thing that they had to get off their backs. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can fall into that trap. We like this world. It's pretty good for us. Most of it is working out. There's just a few little problems that need to be sorted out. And then I'm good with it. We're not thinking of the land flowing with milk and honey. The land where God was taking the people of Israel. Finally, God will always be faithful to his people. God had a plan for them. He had an amazing future for the people of Israel. It went back to the covenant he made with Abraham and he warned them. He said, you're gonna be sojourners. You're gonna stay for 400 years. Life is gonna become difficult and then I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna take you somewhere different and I'm gonna take you to the most amazing place and it's going to be yours. It's gonna be your inheritance, an eternal inheritance. It's for you. He had this amazing plan and so God heard and it says in verse seven of the the following chapter, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their suffering. This morning, we've spoken about all these great things in the future, but the reality is life can be very difficult. Life can be very painful. Life can be very hurtful. Life can be very discouraging. God is not oblivious to that. He sees our suffering. 
He hears our cry. He knows us. He knows us deeper and closer than any other person. Anybody. We can cry to him, but let's cry to him. Let's not cry to the world around us and ask it to save us. Let's cry to him because he's listening and he is a kind God and he's not wanting us to suffer unnecessarily. He's not a malicious God, not at all. And just like God was faithful and kind to the people of Israel, God understands us. He knows our need. Matthew 6 32, the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows it. God is faithful to sustain us and to sanctify us. 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9. God is faithful to guard us against the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. And God knows our weaknesses. Thank God. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man, But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God hears, God sees, God knows more than anybody else. And God is there. All the resources of God are there to help us. John 1 verse 12 says this, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God. This morning God is inviting you and me into the most amazing covenant relationship. A relationship of becoming his sons. I don't say daughters because all of us are sons. We all have exactly the same rights before God. He's inviting us into that unique and amazing experience and relationship with him. And it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews, how can we escape if we reject so great a salvation? This morning, if God is laying it on your heart, if you haven't accepted him as your faithful Lord and Savior, don't delay The promise is God will accept you. Not because of what you've done, but because of the faithfulness to his character. I want to finish this point. God had a plan for Israel, and the plan wasn't to rescue them from slavery so that they could stay in Egypt and enjoy it. God allowed the slavery in Egypt to make them uncomfortable. Without it, they would never have been prepared to leave and take hold of the new land. The slavery wasn't something that was a mistake. It didn't take God by surprise. God allowed it for a very, very important purpose. Without it, Israel would never have left. They would never have received what God wanted for them. This morning, if God is convicting you in your heart of your slavery to sin, if you feel trapped in this world, if you feel like you can't escape, that the burden is heavy in your mind and in your heart, that is being put there by God. It's put there by God to lead you to salvation. It's 
put there by God to make you realize that what he has for you is so much greater, but you're gonna have to let go. Without slavery, the children of Israel would never have entered the promised land. Without an appreciation of our slavery to sin, we will never enter into the kingdom of God. Have you acknowledged your sin before God? Have you cried out to him? He's waiting to respond. As we go into this week and we think about God's faithfulness and his kindness to us, how is that going to impact on our lives? As Christians here this morning, James provoked us this morning to think about that. What is the kindness of God, the blessing that we've received, how is that going to be shared with other people? Are we becoming more like the Lord Jesus by our understanding of him? This is not a study so that you can become a theologian. This is a testimony so that you can grow more in your knowledge and understanding of Christ and become more like him. Let's pray together and just ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come into your holy presence this morning, we are in awe of you. Your character is something beautiful to behold. We know, Lord, that you withhold your anger, your righteous anger towards us. We should be all consumed, but it's because of your great love that we are not. And we thank you and honor you this morning for sending us your son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin. And I pray, Lord, that if somebody this morning is, is not your child, if they have not come to you, if they have not entered into a covenant with you, that this morning you would, you would break through into their heart and that they would come humbly before your throne and accept the gracious gift of salvation that you want to give them, the freedom, the joy, the peace that comes from your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your love and we thank you for your word which illuminates to us the attributes of you, our great God. And we pray that as we go through the study, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our love and our appreciation, our faith and our devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.